0: take care of all those loud foyer people. Back to John. We're going to try to cover the third and fourth chapters of John's gospel this morning. This is a little bit of a different approach than I normally take, but uh, we'll see how it works by the end of the quarter. You can give me a, uh, a crit- criticism. By the way, criticism can be positive. Where are we here? Review. John the Baptizer twice said that Jesus existed before him and that he was the Lamb of God. Why do you think I'm pointing that out? If someone says something twice, especially in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, because the Bible, when you think about all the information that we could be given, the Bible is extremely brief. And the New Testament is even briefer. And so when you put something in there, it's in there for a purpose. Very important. Yes, very important to, to repeat it and repeat it so close together. This is testimony. What we're reading is John's gospel and in so many places, John emphasizes the signs that Jesus gave that testified to his identity as the Son of God. But here, the Apostle John is writing down John the Baptizer's testimony that Jesus existed before him. Later on, we'll read where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he will say, before Abraham was, I am. And of course, when he said, I am, that's the same name that God called himself when he was talking with Moses when he was telling Moses I want you to go down and tell Pharaoh to let my people go that's the name he gave him to tell them and so when Jesus said that they picked up rocks to throw at him and kill him because they thought he was blaspheming which he would have been except for one thing what was the one thing that prevented that from being blaspheming it was true (laughs) he is God so this is john the baptizer's testimony being recorded about john the apostle saying jesus existed before him and and the other thing he said twice he's the lamb of god in other words twice he emphasizes this man existed before me he is god but he is also god's lamb and every jew would have understood the idea of a lamb as a sacrifice so it's it's To me, I, I think this is a big deal when we see this recorded twice, or these two things recorded twice. Okay, the other review, uh, next review. Something Jesus re- uh, revealed to Nathaniel that had compelled him to believe in Jesus. But what was it? And the answer is, we don't know. We can't know. It's not revealed to us. But it's enough that Nathaniel would say, You are the Lord. You are the the Son of God. So we're we're looking at testimony from John about Jesus, but also his testimony about what Jesus' interactions caused people to do and what it caused Nathaniel to do. Believe. Believe. That's what we see in John. The signs are not without purpose. The whole purpose for the signs is to cause people to believe. Remember that text from the 20, uh, 20th chapter, was it? John finishing up the gospel and he says, what's that? Yes, he said that in, uh, in, the, in the last verse of the 21st chapter, but in the 20th chapter, Verses 30 and 31, he says, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which were not written in the book. But those have been written or these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And believing you may have life in his name. So at the end of the book, John says, this is why I wrote these things down. John will do that in his letters, by the way. He'll also give, this is why I'm writing this. 1 John chapter 5, he'll say, I've written these things so that you may know. Know something. Do you remember what it was from 1 John chapter 5? I've written these things so that you may know that you are saved. In other words, we don't receive from God the the son that he's given so that we might worry and wonder about whether or not we're saved. His intention is that we understand this gospel enough that we can know that we are saved. Of course, we know it by faith, but still... There's that idea of of knowing, of being certain of it. and Because if you're not certain, how can you have peace? How can you have trust? When you get on that roller coaster, it's just a roller coaster. And that bar comes down. How much faith do you have in that bar? I have faith in the bar, but I grip it with all my strength. Because I don't really have faith in the bar. I just... I have hope in the bar but but this gospel is not like that. It is so much more trustworthy than anything else in the universe. And if gravity works every day, I think the gospel will work every day. If the sun rises and sets every day, then I think the gospel will work every day for our salvation. And I'm I'm pontificating now. I need to get back to the to the outline. Third check mark, Jesus performed his first sign at a wedding feast in Cana. Why do you think I put performed in quotation marks? What's that? Okay. That that that's a good answer that it was there was some degree of secrecy about it, because he did he want to do the the water to wine thing? That wasn't his idea. Whose idea was it? His mom's course. Mom's always coming up with stuff for you to do, just like a wife. Anyway, did I just say that? <laughs> but it's true. And how many things do you do? You finally do because your mom or your wife says you need to, and you go, oh, okay, I'm glad I did that. That's kind of the way it works. Anyway, I put performed in quotes because performance sounds like it's for show. It's not for show. It's for explanation it's for showing but it's not for entertainment and there's there's a lot of folks who practice religion i put quotes around practice because they consider that religion is all about being entertained and it's not about being entertained coming to a worship assembly is not about being entertained it's about showing honor to god and that's all it's about now there's a place in life for entertainment uh, but the church building is not it that's not the reason we come here. If, if we find that what we do in honoring God the way he wants to is entertaining, well, that's fine. There's no problem with that. It's not wrong if it's entertaining, but the point is not entertainment. And he wasn't doing the signs to entertain. Do you remember when it was brought before Herod? Herod said, or, or it was explained that Herod had wanted to see some sign or wonder performed by him. He was looking for the entertainment value. Herod wasn't looking for the, for the idea of I want to see a sign so I can know he's a son of God and come to him for my salvation. That's not the point. He was, hey, this will be cool. That's about all it was. When Jesus cleansed the temple, the Jews asked him what sign he showed to prove his authority to do so. Why did I put that in there? Why is that part of the review? The idea of signs was a very common thing in Judaism. What sign do you show? When Moses went to Pharaoh, what did Pharaoh say when Moses said, let my people go? God says, let my people go. His question was, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And that's the point at which God begins to show Pharaoh who he was with the ten plagues that ended in the death of the firstborn. And eventually ended with his army being wiped out in the Red Sea. So... If you're going to ask God who he is, do it respectfully. And so Jesus cleansed the temple and the Jews asked, what sign shows your authority that you can do this? In Jerusalem during the Passover, many believed on him because they saw the signs he was doing. Why did they put that in there? I want you to see the connection between faith and the signs, the signs and the faith. He does the signs; people see this. Oh, look what he does! He, he must be the son of God. There's something to what he's doing. This makes me think about. It. I've got to consider: Who is this man? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one we've been looking for for fifteen hundred years? What's what's the deal? This is not nothing. All right, chapter three. O- open to chapter three, and, and you can just kind of scan through the passages as we're as we're talking about these. And my intent. I don't even know if I told you this. My intent is for you to read ahead. So when you come to class, you will have read uh, the chapters we're going to be talking about. I'd really like to take the time to read them in class, but time just gets by so quickly. All right, under number one, chapter 3, 1 to 21, why does Nicodemus say he believes, and apparently others as well, that Jesus has come from God? the signs. Nobody could do the things that you do unless God was with him. That's what Nicodemus says. And he says, we, we know that you've come from God. We is a plural pronoun. I don't think he was using it editorially. I I think there were others like him who were seeing and observing and saying, this guy's got to be from God. But Nicodemus is the only one who showed up to talk to him about it. Jesus speaks to Nicodemus about being born again. What must being born again be predicated upon according to John one eleven to thirteen. Take a look at John one, eleven to thirteen. If you want to be born again, something must happen first. I'm sorry? Accept the testimony, or as as it's put there, receive him, believe on him. He came to his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him. So generally speaking, he was rejected. That's why he was crucified. He was rejected. But those who did receive him, what were they given? That's huge. Given the right to become sons of God. You do not have the right to become a son of God. Nobody does unless you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. This is why when someone talks about uh, other religions, are those people saved? Well, first, number one, that's, that's up to God, not anybody else. But if we're going by the book, this is what the book says. To be a child of God, you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And those who do not believe that, I have no right to say, oh, they're okay, they're fine. Who am I to say that? That puts me in the position of being judge. Just as if I said, no, they're lost. They're all going to hell. Well, I'm putting myself in the position of being judged there. But it's the same thing to be a judge to say, no, they're fine. I have no right to judge either way. All I have a right to do is look at the book and say, this is what the book says. This is what the book says. I love you and I I want to be confident in your salvation like I'm confident in mine. But the only way I can be confident is for you to do this. And the only way you can truly be confident... Because Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing, and that by the word of God. And there's no way we can be saved without faith. So if faith comes by hearing the word of God, we've we've got to hear it from God. Or else it's come from something else, somewhere else. What future sign did Jesus give Nicodemus regarding his identity as a son of man? And I know this is a large section, but what did Jesus say about himself? It's going to take place in the future. Okay, he, he would have sinned, but, but there was something else. If I be lifted up, how does he, yeah, he say it? As, as Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole. You think Nicodemus knew about that? Of course he knew about that. Every good Jew knew about that. They probably also knew that later on they would take that image of a serpent that Moses made and make that into an idol and worship it. Because that was the nature. Uh, it still is the nature of people. Right. So Jesus uses this imagery. And it's, there's no way at this point, I think that anybody could have imagined what he was alluding to. But now when you look back on it, you go, wow, he was right on. This is a long time before that happened, but Jesus still told Nicodemus, if I be lifted up from the earth, of course that comes in chapter 12, but he's he's talking about the same thing here. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. By the way, that, that term, Son of Man, we'll talk about that more later. Not right now, but later we'll talk about Son of Man, what that means. So you might make a side note about that, do a little research on your own. Why did Jesus call himself the Son of Man? What do you notice about the tenses Jesus uses in 3.16, and is there any significance to this? We're all familiar probably with John 3.16. What about the tense? What's it say? Okay, that's it. Past tense. For God so loved the world that he he gave his only begotten son. Take a look at that. Talk about it for just a minute. I need another light here. Yes. And the whole point is, what, what, does, what does God say about this? Verse 5 says, you have
1: to be born of the water and the spirit. Right. So God, we're so backing we're up to, to verse 5,
0: six. and he's already said that to Nicodemus. The apostle has written that down. He's written down the record of Jesus talking to Nicodemus, saying, so you've got to be born of water and the spirit, or you won't come into the kingdom. By the way, he says that twice, too. You won't see the kingdom. You won't enter the kingdom unless you're born again. And he specifies water and the Spirit. And then he—I'm
1: sorry—clearly he tells us that even the, the demons believe. Mm-hmm. Thou so well, but even they believe. So it's more than just believing, you know. I mean, it's—it's it's amazing to me how simple it is, but people will take that one believing, and you, all you got to do is believe, and you're good, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm just—it just. It just Unlike am everyone else, I guess. It frustrates me to no end. Although it's kind of like Mike said one time when he was on a radio show, you know, I, I, I want to teach you what the Bible says because I love you. I, 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 I'm willing to face your rejection. But how do we do it? Because if I do it with any type of uh, this is what's right and you're wrong, that they you fend them off. You've got to do it in love. And that, to me, that doing that because God's going to give you increase is the most difficult thing for me. How do I do this without offending them? But I can't make excuses for God's word because this is the truth. It's
0: it's it's like like this generation, and I'm I'm not saying bad things about anybody, but it just tends to be a trend right now that everybody's offended about everything. But people have always been offended by the truth, if they don't honor the truth. When you go back to the third chapter of Genesis, there's Eve with the serpent. And Eve is offended by the truth. He hates God, so he tells her a lie and makes her feel, and I, it doesn't say this in the text that she felt any certain way. But when you read it, it's like, Well, if I don't listen to him and what he says, I'm going to feel like a fool because this is good fruit and and I'm I'm being taken. He's convincing me that God does not have my best interests at heart and that I've been duped by God. And if I don't do this, then I'm allowing myself to continue to be duped. And that's the same kind of thing we're being told today. It's the same thing you hear by those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's what Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 1. Suppressing so this wokeness that we hear so much about today is nothing new, and all it is, it, it makes everybody afraid to take any stand except the one that is most popular. And I don't know if you've noticed it, but what is popular is quite often not true. Charles? Oh I uh, the the way I always heard it was you have the right to be offended. You have the right to be angry, and I have the inalienable right to offend you.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) They said, well, the the offended people nowadays are saying, you don't have the right to upset me. That you've offended me, and you should apologize, and that's not how that works. You have the freedom to be mad, and I have the freedom to upset you. But uh, another part of that line is that even yeah. when you apologize, all your apology does is confirm that you were wrong and and the cycle continues of condemnation of you, but you were wrong. And you see this, you see it in politics where people go back and, and they try to, to dig up every little thing from 20, 30, 40 years ago to say, look at this guy. And they're not looking at the way things are today. It's It's just... The whole point is truth. What is the truth? What is the truth? Jesus will say when he gets to chapter 8, or when he gets to chapter 8, when John gets to chapter 8, he'll reveal that Jesus said, if you want to be my disciples, indeed, what do you got to do? You got to keep my words. And if you keep my words, you will know something. What will you know? You'll know the truth. And what will the truth do? It'll set you free. That's, That's the difference. That's the distinction. That's the dichotomy. And so we've got to teach the truth in love but but know that people are going to be offended by that. Have you ever been offended by the truth? I, I would imagine so. Randall ha, has had his hand up for a while and then Don. Right. We're, we're moving right into it. So it's, it's, it's obsolete now, right? right? Don? Uh, just a quick note on John 3.16 you know when we read this tra- translated into English it says whoever believes in him but if you look at the Greek it says whoever believe whoever believing into him, and into that in him, we translate in is into is i is e I s, believing unto, into him. So it's it's kind of a it's kind of a verb more than just a just a, a mental you know it's believing into him. Right. And if so we didn't get that, you're persuaded to give your whole life up, basically. Which which is exactly what he says all the way through. He doesn't say, Hey, just just, just come see me, see me on Sundays and we'll be good. It's not. I'm going to die for you. You have to die for me. If any man does not take up his cross and follow me, what's a cross all about? That's like saying you take up your electric chair. You're going to die there. That's what happens on a cross. You die. But you give up your life for Christ. He gives it back. That's where faith comes in. And all of these signs we're reading about in John is to generate faith. This guy really is the son of God. And if you have any awareness of yourself... How small you are and how limited you are and how weak you are. You can't make anything happen in this world. And all of a sudden, here's a man and you realize this man is actually God. And he says he will take me out of this world into his world in the next. All I have to do is put my faith in him and, and hear his demands. What are his demands? Well, he says I have to love my neighbor. Oh, okay. Okay. He says, I have to treat my wife with respect. I have to treat my husband with respect. I have to treat my children with respect. But I also have to hold on to the truth, not believe a lie, not tell a lie. I have to do people good and not evil. I can't take revenge on anybody, even though I might want to. These are the things Jesus says to do. What are the weightier things of the law? Justice, faithfulness, mercy. Those are the weightier things of the law. It's not whether or not you tithe your mint and your dill and your cumin. And, and that was the problem the Pharisees had. And they missed all this stuff because they weren't really looking for truth. They were looking for something they could do, that they could see with their eyes, say, okay, I've done this, I can see it, uh, I'm good now. Don't interrupt me with anything different. Don't give me any other ideas. Evolution is true. Anybody who doesn't believe that is an idiot. Oh, I'm afraid to say anything ...that is scientific that counters the idea of evolution. I'm afraid to say anything that's scientific evidence for a recent creation rather than an old creation. I'm afraid to point out that all the layers of sediment in the Grand Canyon... ...in fact, all the layers of sediment all over the world are perfectly flat and even... ...which would never happen if those layers took millions of years... ...or even thousands of years or even hundreds of years to develop. They had to be laid down fast... What does that say? Well, that says, you know, I think there was a worldwide flood. There's just so many evidences for the things that the Bible says that are being suppressed. And, and that's what you see throughout John. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Why not a whole bunch of Pharisees? Because when we get to chapter 9, it's going to be revealed to us. Well, the Pharisees said, if you believe Jesus is a Christ, you're going to be put out of the synagogue. Now, wait a minute. we got a guy here who... Who performs these signs? He does these signs. And he doesn't do it for show and he doesn't do it for money. Why wouldn't we believe that he is the Christ? And this is a discussion we'll get to in chapter 6 and chapter 7 and even into chapter 8 where people are going back and forth. Well, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than this guy? The question is there and the question is still there. People are still asking the question and the information is still here. Is this Jesus? Is this the Son of God? Is this the one in whom I should put my faith? I'm sorry. Somebody else had something.
1: It is in, in that context, being, you know, Jesus tells Nicodemus, "Well, you're the teacher. You're the teacher. You know, you're talking to me, asking me these questions, but you're the teacher." And and Jesus says, "I'm telling you what my Father told me to you. Right. So the conversations that we're having, the questions I'm asking you are what God gave me to reveal or to ask and I, I'm just for some reason all these conversations I keep thinking about it's not Jesus saying what he's saying what God wanted Him to and then I get to thinking about being able to talk to God we like through prayer Jesus not only God had given him this but when he wanted to talk to God he still went to prayer you know? that he was God in the flesh but yet he talked to God through prayer, but yet God had given me. And we're just seeing something that I can't grab my mind It's just There's just too many facets of it. So I just have to have faith and understand that this is what he wants me to do, you know, and try to do the best I can, you know.
0: And, and that's what
1: faith is. You, you do the best you can all the time based on the, the guidance you've been given in Scripture. This
0: yeah. Yeah. thing is incredible to... to try to put myself in the place of the chronological event that we're at right now. We have, we've already read
1: the New Testament. We have the whole canon in our hands. But at this point, the people that are seeing Him and hearing Him, how much has He done up to this point in
0: front of them? Yet they have faith in Him just based off of what they've seen so far. And, you know, the people we're talking about trying to convince today, we have all this information, I mean, endless information in front of us. Yet these people only were going off of what they saw right then, and they believed. And so you hear Jesus say, hey, if I did a sign right in front of you right now, you still wouldn't believe. Right. I mean, it, it, it's so true, uh, just thinking about how much faith they had to believe at this point. And we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll to chapter 11, where, where he raises Lazarus from, from the dead. How long would Lazarus have been dead? dead? Four days. His sister says, oh Lord, don't bring him up. He's, he's, he's going to be singing. His, his son going to be pleasant if you raise him now. <laughs> she had no idea. Bless her heart. I wouldn't have had either. I still don't have any idea. But Jesus raised him and he was fine. And what did the Pharisees say? We've got to kill Jesus and we have to kill others. What? What? This man has done you no harm has cost you nothing except your faith status that you think you have as a religious leader. And and what if he is God? They're not even asking that question. Because who else could raise the dead? He does this in chapter 11, but in chapter 9, we were studying not long ago. Where was that we were looking at chapter 9? Oh, that was in Vacation Bible School. And the man who was healed of his blindness says... Nobody's ever heard of this happen. Well, nobody ever heard of anybody raising the dead before. Well, actually, if they'd gone back and they'd read where they threw somebody into the pit where the bones of the lichens were, yeah, that man came out alive. But that's, that's another story. We're not supposed to know about that. But, but that's what this meant. Nobody ever raised the dead. But this guy did. And it was a sign, an obvious sign, that God was with him. Because he was raising the dead, but he was also teaching people to do the kinds of things that Jesus taught people to do. He wasn't saying, let's rise up and overcome the Pharisees. Let's rise up and overcome the Romans.
1: Let's rise up and have a war and wipe people out. That's what Muhammad did. He rose up and fought his way up through into Europe
0: until he was stopped by a military power. And and so, but today, what do we call it? A religion of peace. Okay. This is the religion of peace, Christianity. Jesus is the one who calls for peace, but he was the one who was crucified. Anyway, uh, you got me off on pontificating again. Here we go. How might you describe the two groups of people Jesus apparently has in view in verses 18 to 21? This is chapter 3, 18 to 21. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And there's your point, Don. Believed into. That's what you do. You put your faith into Jesus. This guy's God. So I'm going to do whatever he says. This is a judgment that light has come into the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be expressed, exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Now it doesn't say anything about two groups but I see two groups here. What's the difference? What's the distinction? Believers and unbelievers. S- these folks, half of them, not half, I wish it was half, part of them believe that jesus is the christ and so they change their life and it's really the ones who believe enough to change their life that are in view because some do believe but they don't change but those who believe and don't change don't really believe and those who don't believe at all they certainly don't believe so we've we've got this dichotomy And it all depends on whether or not you believe in Jesus. And why did John write this gospel and put these signs in it? So that we might believe that he's the Christ, the Son of God. And believing we might have life in his name. That's what this gospel is all about. All right. Near the bottom of the page, number two. We're finally on number two, chapter three, 22 to 36. What does the gospel record Jesus and his disciples doing on the heels of telling Nicodemus about being born again of water in the spirit? They're out in the wilderness. They're baptizing people. Left and right, we would say in our vernacular. And when you get to chapter 4, verse 1, it's going to say Jesus and his apostles were baptizing more people than who? Than John. John the who? John the baptizer. John the baptizer came to prepare the way for Jesus. And he did that by preaching repentance and baptizing people. That's why he was called John the baptizer. And then Jesus and his disciples come and they baptized more people than John. After he's told Nicodemus, man, you've got to be born by water and the Spirit if you want to see the kingdom. But that water's, well, I'm not even going to get into that. It's pretty obvious there's water in the plan, in God's plan. Second question there, why is John the baptizer baptizing in Enon? A lot of water there. To me, the implication is you don't need to just take a bucket of water and sprinkle some people from it. Or pour a little water on somebody. He's baptizing in Enon because there's a lot of water there. By the way, what does the Greek word baptizo mean? It means to immerse, to, to plunge somebody in the water. We have an English word, "baptized" because when the, the King James uh, scholars came to that word, the practice had already been changed to sprinkling and pouring. And so they said, well, you know, just going to create a lot of controversy here. Let's just make up a new word. We'll take the Greek word baptizo and make a new English word. We'll anglicize it or Englishize it and make it baptize. And that's how we got the word baptize. With what three terms does John the Baptizer refer to Jesus in 28 to 36? Take a look at 28 to 36 and see what John calls Jesus. Christ, what does Christ mean? I'm not telling you anymore. I'm not telling you anymore what Christ means. (laughs) I have told this so many times. What's it mean? Anointed of God. You forget it, you ask Phyllis. (laughs) Phyllis knows. Anointed of God. What's the equivalent Hebrew word? Messiah. Messiah and Christ. Same thing. One's Hebrew, one's Greek. So John the baptizer calls Jesus to Christ. What other terms does he use? Bridegroom. Well, if there's a bridegroom, what must there be? Bride. Who is the bride? The church. All right. What other term does he use? Son. The son. The son. Not just a son, but the son. The son of God. While Jesus is calling himself the son of man. All right. All right. Back page. What precipitated Jesus leaving Judea at this point? And all you have to do is scan the first 38 verses to get that. Actually, it's in the first couple of verses. It's interesting. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, He left Judea and went away again into Galilee. So what precipitated it? They were finding out about all the people they were baptizing. By the way, why would Jesus not baptize anyone, you suppose? This is speculation. It doesn't say. What's that? Yes, Jesus baptized me. Did Jesus baptize No, Jesus didn't baptize you. You're not a real disciple. Oh, Jesus baptized me. That, to me, that's why. <clears throat> it doesn't say that, but knowing human nature, that's... By the way, the the Catholic Church and its bishops, how did that develop? You do a little research in history, you'll find out that those were bishops in the church, elders in the church who knew some apostles, and those... Oh, these, this is one who knew the apostle, and it, it gradually, slowly developed into... Based on who you knew, it it just got to be a thing. That's not what it's about. All right. and I'm not, this isn't a class on criticizing, but when you read the truth, you start to see, oh, that's not the way to do it. That's not the way to do it. This is the way to do it. It's kind of, you can't hardly help it. In the process of leaving Judea en route to Galilee... Jesus and his disciples had to pass through Samaria. What time was it according to the record when Jesus sat by Jacob's well? Noon. Sixth hour of the day was noon, so it was hot. Likely very hot. I don't have a weather report from that day. But since John points out that it was noon, that I think is a pretty safe assumption. Where were the disciples when Jesus asked the woman for a drink? They'd gone into town. They were going to hit a 7-Eleven, pick up something to eat, which I don't advise. How did Jesus address the question about race? What is the question about race? Oh, my goodness, that can't be true. Number 9, verse 9. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And how did Jesus respond to that racial statement? Keep looking. Keep looking. You won't find it. He he didn't respond to it. What's he do? He just says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, but he would have given... He doesn't even go to the racial thing. He could have. He could say, oh, now let me talk to you about race and how God just created one set of the parents and everybody came from them. And then after the flood, everybody came from Noah. So there's really no race. He could have explained all that out to her. He didn't do that. It's like when Jesus is, the Pharisees say, you're a Samaritan and you have a demon. Well, he never addressed the slam of being a Samaritan. He just addressed the part about the demon. It's not an issue with him, it seems. Right. And it's not like anybody can be condemned on their race anyway. Now people will point out, oh, you go to the Old Testament, He, he condemns races all the time. No, he doesn't. He says, wipe out the Amalekites. Why wipe out the Amalekites? Because of what they practice, it's what they do. It's not because they're Amalekites. It's what they do. It's always what people did. That's what God said to Abraham back in chapter 15 of of Genesis, he said, "The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. When it's full, I'm sending your kids in. You're going to wipe them out. That's what I'm going to tell them. It has nothing to do with race. It's everything to do with practice." as if to say it doesn't matter it's, it's a non-issue Samaritan Jew doesn't matter where are we here um, how did Jesus respond to the woman when she asked for the living water he offered
1: call your husband
0: what's he doing that for why, Why didn't he, he just, well, I was hoping you would ask me, yeah, I want to give you this living. Why didn't he say that? She had to have some understanding. There there had to be some faith. And what he was about to tell her, reveal to her about herself, was what was going to bring about faith. Don't call your husband. Oh, man, don't go there. That's That's controversial. That's... That's confrontational. But what is it? It's truth. He's getting down to the truth. What's true about the situation? What's true about your situation? I've already told you, I don't care that you're a Samaritan in so many words. I'm going to give you living water. doesn't matter to me what nation you came from, who your parents are. It's a non-issue. Go call your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. Oh, well, you've spoken the truth because you've had Five. You got one now but he's not your husband. <laughs> what right do you have to judge? <laughs> she could have asked but she didn't ask that. What did she do? She said this guy's god. And she left her water pot, and she went into town. But not yet, first she had some other things she wanted to ask about. What was her first question when she came to see Jesus was a source for information? Yes, it was about Religious practice. It wasn't about, hmm, how much, what else do you know about my life? It was, we worship in this mountain, but you guys worship in Jerusalem. Which, which is the truth? Did she want to know? Or did she just want justification for what the, the, the Samaritans practiced? I think she wanted to know. This is what I've been raised with. Is this right? How many of you were raised with something that you finally found out was not right and you said, yeah, I got to find what the truth is? And you're here today because of that. That's what she was doing. We worship in Gerizim. You worship in Jerusalem. What Jesus tell her? He say, yeah, Jews are better than Samaritans. He just said, we worship what we know. You don't know what you worship. What kind of a statement is that? It's a true statement. <laughs> it's a true statement. That's what you see throughout this gospel wow well we're done (laughs) that's that's where we are we're done so memorize this and and bring it back next week with all the answers filled out and we will proceed from there anybody got anything this week bring our class to a conclusion all right appreciate you guys